gleanings, gleanings from the life of Christ and basically learning from his life. The beauty of as we've gone through and we've got a chance to really just be in love with uh, the joy that our elders have of the word of God, how much they love the Lord, they elevate the Lord. Um, They don't just talk about other things, they really unpack God's word And it's such a blessing and a joy to see that. The neat thing is, is we have been encouraging the church to really see that what is our mission? As we promote missions and as we do missions, as we support missionaries, it's hard for us to support missionaries if we ourselves are not doing the mission. Of course, God's and Christ's command for us as a church is make disciples and therefore, and go and teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And so there's this aspect of modeling Christ's life. And there's this aspect of, of evangelism, of, of proclaiming the, the good news, of, of, of basically people taking on the name of Christ, uh, becoming a part of God's family. And, but there's also this aspect as, as we model Christ, We're proclaiming Christ, and we see and we're adding people to the family of God. But then it's our job to teach them to obey all that Christ did. And the neat thing is that through all of these messages through the summer, there has been every single one of those aspects in the fact that we can glean from the life of Christ. That he lived it as he also commanded it for us to do that as we go in life do these things. And it is same and true for today. The text that um, I'm about ready to pray and then read uh, with you together in John 4, um, most people, most theologians, most commentaries, most pastors will tell you they will preach on either evangelism or they will preach on worship. This morning I decided that in the the beauty of the context of the entirety, we're going to go through and hit all the main points and show you how and why it is so beautiful that it fits together and it helps us for uh, today. As I make sure I find where my clicker is at, I'm not used to the clicker anymore. (laughs) But I want us to really see that there is so much more to glean from the life of Christ in this section that Jesus is teaching us than just evangelism and just worship. And I want us, uh, and I pray that as we seek this, that God will give you great joy and encouragement through the power of his spirit as we read his word together. So let's pray. Lord, remove our tiredness, my tiredness. Remove our infirmities. We pray for those that are ailing Lord, there, uh, there are those that are uh, sick, not with COVID, but with other issues, different surgeries, different uh, ailments, uh, always kind of coming and going within the church. And so, Lord, I pray that we would always be abounding, praying for your body, for your bride, the body of Christ. May we be ever mindful, especially in the day that we see approaching the things going on in our world that you would, um, that we would be praying and upholding one another, 
And Lord, that we would be learning to love you more and more, making much of you and less of ourselves. Lord, we pray for, uh, Lord, it just just seems like one devastation after another, uh, not only in our country, but also, Lord, around the world. Um, Thank you that we can pray with great confidence uh, for the work that is being done under the eyes of the Taliban. Uh, Lord, that they cannot root out all believers. Even now, as my, uh, those that I know uh, that are around Afghanistan that are confidently proclaiming that the underground church is growing and growing rapidly. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And we pray during this great turmoil that more and more um, brothers and sisters would come to the saving faith and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray that, Lord, you would continue to do that amazing work that we couldn't do even with the, our, the greatest military might. We cannot grow the church. Lord, you grow the church. And so, Lord, we thank you and we praise you for that. We ask humbly that you would help us to make much of you and to continue to grow our church. As we see the day approaching, we see how that it will be more and more difficult. But Lord, at the same time, may we rest more and more upon your strength, your power. May we rest solely in you. We thank you for these words that you have proclaimed and you still proclaim, and may you proclaim them to our hearts as we read them together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John chapter 4, starting in verse 4, we're going to head down to verse 26 or maybe verse 28. I don't know. We'll just keep reading. God said this, and Jesus proclaimed this. In verse 4, he said, and he had to pass through Samaria. So having finished in Jerusalem, he says it's time to go through Samaria. And so it came to a town of Samaria called Sokar, and uh, near the fields that Jacob had given to his son Joseph, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, worried or wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, so around noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying this to you, give me a drink, You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself and did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, 
Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, he will never thirst again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and are one and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place that where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from or through the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He that is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all these things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Jesus then then, just then his disciples came back, they marveled, and they, that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left with the water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see who told me all that I had ever did. Can this be the Christ? It's an amazing opportunity to glean as Jesus gives us many things to ponder and to think about. And he reveals so much when it comes to both evangelism or worship. But before we get there, I want you to notice basically... Uh, there we go. I want you to notice the major issues in this encounter with Jesus. There were some major issues or problems. There were some major things happening. Number one, there's the physical issue, right? Jesus was tired. He was weary. He had just walked roughly about 30 miles, give or take, and he had got to the well. He's tired. He's in the hot sun. He is thirsty. So not only is he tired, but he's thirsty. He needs not only food, but he needs water. In the high desert in which you find Israel, uh, the basically lifeblood of Israel, not only is the grape, but it is water. You need water to travel the highways through the Middle East. 
Without water, you're not going to get very far. There's, so there's this physical issue. But it's not, just, it's not really the physical issue of Jesus that concerns us, although we see a little bit about Christ, that he was 100% God, but also 100% man. He felt the effects of living in the world. But here's the physical issue with the woman. She needs water. She's coming out at noon, which is not a typical time for a woman to come out and draw water. But nonetheless, she's out there. And she's also thirsty. And the man that was with her at the time is also thirsty, is which why she was there. Not only that, but as he, Jesus talks to this woman, she's like, I want some of this water that is going to never end. I want to have... I, if you were a woman that had to constantly go out and draw water for the family and come back, and that was your chore every single day, you would want to have water that you could put in your house and it would never end, right? That's why we love running water, right? That's why we are desperate, my wife and I would desperately love to put in an electric heater in our, in our shop slash barn so we can have heated water for the animals during the winter because the water freezes, right? We, we want hot water. We like running water, water that never ends. There's physical issues. So there's a physical issue. The other thing is, is that we see that there's an ethnic issue, the Samaritans. 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 24, talks about roughly about what had happened. There was this ethnic problem. It'd be like what we hear today. People talk about race. You hear about race all the time. The reality is there's not any race issue. We're all humans. It's basically we have ethnic issues. It It was still common back then. They had ethnic issues Basically, Samaritans were half-breeds. They were half-Assyrians or half-Babylonians, and they were half-Jewish. After the invasion in 1720 B.C., uh, they were carried away, but they also intermarried, interbred, and lo and behold, you had the Samaritans. And Jews, who had remained faithful and pure and then you know, followed all the rules and all that kind of stuff, they hated their Jewish relatives to the north, the Samaritans. They had made a divide. It was a very, not only was it a geographical divide, so this ethnic issue was created by geography, but it was also created by many other issues. So you have this woman that Jesus like, I must go. As I go up to Galilee, I must go through Samaria. Now, that was an odd route. Jews didn't typically take that route. They would take the high road. They would take, it was actually harder, and they would go around, and they would find and go around Samaria so they would not mix with the Samaritans. It was their version uh, that we see back in history. There was, this was the great divide, this ethnic divide. And here we have Jesus talking to a Samaritan. So that was an ethnic issue. Let's just talk about it. Was, she, Jews just wouldn't talk to Samaritans. They would basically, if at all costs, avoid talking to a Samaritan. So we have this ethnic issue, but 
part of the ethnic issue also created a cultural issue. The cultural issue not only was, so this person that Jesus meets at the well and that Jesus talks to is a double problem because there's an ethnic issue. She's a Samaritan, but there's a cultural issue. She's a woman, right? In the world, in this world at this time and even in Middle East still to this day, in this world, men rarely spoke to women. Women rarely spoke to men, especially if you were single. If you were unmarried, you just didn't go up and talk to a woman. It was unheard of. Consequences could ensue. Um, it was a shock to me when I got invited by a Palestinian friend of mine as I, as I, when I lived in Israel as part of the my studies in Bible college and through seminary, I got a chance to go and, and live in Israel and study there. And, and um, I had, we, one of our uh, professors was a rabbi. We were given a rabbi who taught us Jewish culture and thought and practice. And then we were given a, a, a Jewish family. And that family we would do uh, celebrate things and cultural things with and the feasts. And Shabbat, and we go through and, and go through all of that. And it was a wonderful, wonderful time. But one of my favorite things to do is before class started, because I enjoyed sleeping in, and so I never took a class before 10 o'clock. And so I would uh, get my, my coffee. This is where I learned to drink coffee, which now the doctors tell me I'm not supposed to drink anymore. It's a rough life in my house. So uh, I had... Uh, so, yeah, they, they found out uh, other issues with my back issues. They found out my thyroid issue is not really a thyroid issue. It's an autoimmune issue. And so I have to quit drinking coffee because of the autoimmune issue. So I've, I've rebelled. I have my one coffee in the morning and then tea the rest of the day. But, um, so I started drinking coffee there because I couldn't stand the meat, mint tea. Just, I just, it really made me unsettled. So when we would go in and I meet my Palestinian buddies and, and I would sit and they would uh, speak mostly in, in um, Arabic and, and uh, I would basically just sit and drink coffee and learn about them. And I would witness to them to the best of my ability, but I would sit and just drink coffee. And so my friend that I had, I had made invited me to his home, which is a great honor. And so I said, I'm going. So I invited, and so he invited like two, me and another guy that had become really good friends with him, and he uh, invited up to his house. We had eaten dinner. The spread was before us, pilaf with just two whole chickens in the pilaf with vegetables like, like, uh, uh, like flowers, like all these vegetables arranged like flowers around the whole dish. It was like something to behold. And there was this big, huge curtain right in the middle of their apartment building. And we were sitting there eating, and he, and, he, and he stopped us, and he said, for you, and not many guests. And he pulled back the curtain, and there's his wife. And he says this to her. She unmasks herself and introduces herself to us and gives us a blessing, and then masks back up, and closed the, and I, I and closed the, and we never saw her after that. 
I, I was like, what just happened? Because you're not allowed to see the wife. You're not allowed to see the women of the family unless they're under 12. Kids are no problem, but once they reach 12, you're not going to see them after that. It's not culturally acceptable. So here you have Jesus walking up and saying, woman, give me a drink. It was not ethnically something that Jews would do, and it wasn't culturally something that Jews would do. But Jesus being Jesus was not concerned about the first three. He was concerned about these last three issues, and that was there were spiritual issues. This woman had a spiritual condition. She was a sinner. She had issues in her life. Most of the, and the sin had caused her not to realize that she needed a Savior. She, was, she knew she needed a Savior, but she didn't even know really about how to worship, who to worship. And so there's these spiritual issues that Jesus is dealing with as he confronts her and brings up her sin, as Jesus can do, because now we see not only is Jesus 100% God, but now we see that Jesus is 100%, or we see that, I'm sorry, now that we saw that he's 100% man, we also see that he is 100% God, and he, he knows all things. He knew her spiritual state and says, go get your husband. And she's like, well, that's really not my husband. And he says, true. She, she was honest, which is shocking because also that is why she was out at noon, because she wasn't allowed to be around the other ladies during the morning. Culturally, if a lady was known to be a sinful or a prostitute or not living correctly, she was not allowed to go draw water with the other ladies. And that is why she was out around noon. So she had a spiritual issue, but she had a, a religious issue. Samaritans were known for only studying the first five books of the Bible. They would only accept the first five books. They weren't like other Jews who not only accepted the whole Old Testament, and then the Jews went on to write the Talmud and other issues that they had, and they made everything about religion, made everything about man-made following through, things we had learned about when we talked about baptism and repentance and believing in Sunday school this morning. It all became about works. And not too undifferent from the Jews, the Samaritans had the same struggle. They said, well, we are only going to follow the first five books, we're not going to follow everything else that you have said since the life of Moses. And we're going to only follow that. Not only that, but we're only going to worship on this. You say that God says you have to worship at the temple. Well, this is now our temple and we're going to worship here. Which wasn't really right. So they had religious issues. They not only had religious issues in where they worshipped, but it was how they worshipped. They had a very pagan style of worship. Being interbred and intermixed and, and taking on, they, they adopted a lot of the cultures around them that they married into. And a lot of those cultures began to affect the way they worshipped. So they weren't following all of Scripture 
they weren't following where to offer sacrifices to God, to worship God directly where God was, but they also weren't worshiping him in the fashion in which God said to worship him in Leviticus. So, they had, so what we have here is a highly worship-related issue. Not only that, there's a submission issue. This one, in verse 16, Jesus has confronted her. He's explained to her about that the water that you desire is not self-sustaining, but the water that I can give you is self-sustaining and eternal, and that he's the Messiah. But he says, go get your husband. In effect, that he's saying, let's deal with your sin, is the idea that he's that he's proclaiming there. She had a submission issue. She had a dilemma. Do I submit to the Messiah or do I keep doing what I want to do? The beauty of it is, as we know in verse 28, she went. She took her jar of water and she went and gathered up people to meet the Messiah. As we look at these major issues that we encounter with Christ in this passage, I want to I encourage you that this passage, along with some others that I've been studying since I've been bedridden, has really encouraged me as we look at the major issues that we face today. We, place, we are facing every month, every week, it seems like more and more cultural and political and ethnical issues. These are not just small things. These are major things that are turning into spiritual religion issues and also submission issues. And it's been a joy as I studied this passage. I had such a hard time outlining this and I decided to add all the outlines in one. So, Tammy, if you've been looking and you've been waiting for the standard Friday email, and, and, uh, and Tammy's like, yeah, it's been a crazy week. Well, it has. I, I've been running all over the place. Blessings. We were able to, after three years of praying with Susie, she finally moved back to Ferndale. And we got to witness to her, um, to uh, the gentleman that oversees her case, and uh, he, and she kept witnessing with us, and saying, this is my family. They're better, than, they're, they're better than a biological family. And she kept going on and on and on. And we were saying, it's because what we have in Christ. And he was just shocked. And it was a lot of fun to witness to him because Susie made it easy. But, nope. <laughs> she was proclaiming Christ with great joy. But I... I I am telling you that the spiritual issue and the religious issue, by the way, are two separate issues. We are facing spiritual issues, and the world is focusing on a lot of the religious issues. And we have to decide whether who and what we're going to submit to. I've, I've kind of stayed quiet, not because my back hurt or because my, I tore my Achilles. 
I just I was being quiet to better understand on how to answer a lot of the things that are happening in our society today. I've been more vocal, in the, and some of you have heard me in the last few weeks. I've been more and more vocal about it. And here's what I'm telling you. You have two different sides competing for political power. Most of their arguments, one side is more for religious freedom than the other. That's given. So you're saying, well, obviously pastors are going to err on that side. And I will tell you this, that neither side is focusing on just the, what's true. Either side wants power. Either side wants control. Do I believe one side follows more truth than the other? Yes. But this is not a political message. <laughs> what I'm telling you is, is that there is truth out there that people are not telling you. And we are so focused on what is true and what is politics, what is cultural, what is ethnically right, that we miss the beauty that is before us in God's word this morning. Jesus had to go. Jesus went and did something that in his day was not heard of. It, he, he said, forget about the ethnic or cultural problems. I'm going to go speak to this woman because she has a spiritual problem. She has an issue. Today we have a lot of our society is hijacking the terminology in the church. You've heard probably more than ever from the news that you have to do something, and if you don't do it, you're not loving your neighbor, and therefore you're really not a Christian. And they've really hijacked what it means to really love your neighbor, because you can't love your neighbor if you don't love God. And of course, they will not tell you to love God. And I'm telling you, our culture and our politics, our culture, more than ever, is starting to get to tell the church on how to worship. They're hijacking the terminology of the Bible, but they are redefining it. And if you're not careful, you're going to get caught up in all the arguments and you're not going to be following God's word, but you'll be following a religious system put forth by a political system that is broken. God's system, now I'm getting preachy, by the way. <laughs> I've divided. And God's system is perfect. It's not religious. It's about our relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ that sits before us. He invited us to his table to honor our Father which is in heaven. Hallowed be his name. It's not this kingdom come. It is God's kingdom come. Repent and believe because it is coming. Are you ready for his kingdom? I think there are some that are probably not believers that are either following, listening, that are either live streaming. Maybe they're not believers. Maybe you're not. And you, you don't know what it means really to believe that you don't have a relationship with Christ and you are not ready to meet Christ. You're not, re you're not ready for the judgment seat of Christ. You're not ready to stand before God and have your life laid bare. And there are others. Uh, I know that you're 
you're saved. I know that you know that you've repented and you've turned and you've submitted and, and, and you want to follow Christ. And it doesn't mean you're perfect. I mean, you're still dealing with your sin and we're, we're coming and we're confessing our sin to Christ and we want to honor Christ. But yet, maybe you're still not ready for what is to come. So what can we glean from this passage from what Jesus shares, this glimpse into Jesus' life as he breaks down a lot of these big issue things. And all of these seven headings that we will run through quickly, because we're, I want to get to the end quickly, all seven of these are basically messages in and of themselves where we can go and look at really deep theological truths. But they're important for us to see in and to paint this bigger picture so we can then study the smaller parts of the picture. Remember, the more you look at the picture, the more beautiful it gets. It's a problem I have every time I go to a, an art gallery. I think my wife would say, if I would just look at the art the way I look at flowers, I'd be okay. I don't know why, but I look at flowers and I just stare at them. And I see all the little intricate patterns and all the veins inside of every little petal and how they're all different. And I go on and on and on. And I go over to see, to see uh, uh, Rob, and, and he finds me staring at his flowers. <laughs> and he's like, come on, I'll be there in a second. <laughs> but if I, I just, I don't know, pictures don't hold the same vein for me. But flowers is just amazing, God's creative beauty. I just find it in flowers. What can we glean from this in evangelism worship? And that is go wherever non-Christians are found. Today, evangelism is being hijacked. By the way, go is not the command in Matthew 28. It's make disciples of every nation across all the ethnic boundaries, cultural boundaries, because God's culture is different than every culture on earth. It's his kingdom. But we need to go. Literally, the verb there is, is as you go. As Jesus was going through life, he stopped to cross the barriers to meet a spiritual need. It's very, this is much of a no-brainer. How many of you find a place to go talk to somebody that doesn't know who Christ is? It's purpose. Jesus made this distinction. He went out of his way. There are times that I have to do that. I am not, by nature, an evangelist. My first instinct is to say, hey, how can I fix somebody's problem? Not, and then I got to, yeah, duh, their main problem is Christ. And I have to go back. I have to force myself, so I put myself in that position as much as I can. And it's fun. Sometimes it's very hard. Verse 7, use the need that is present even when hard, right? He, he said, hey, woman, give me a drink. Jesus was thirsty. She was coming with water. Who cares if it was politically incorrect to talk to her? It was a hard thing. He still did. So that way, there was a common need. She was getting water. He was thirsty, right? One of the things we can learn about is, uh, in proclaiming Christ to people because that's what evangelism does mean, is proclaiming Christ. Evangelism has been hijacked today um, by what we would call liberation theology. 
And it's all about equality. And equality doesn't even mean equality anymore. When you hear equality in the news, you're talking about everybody has to have everything the same. Same amount of clothes, all the same education. And if one person can't have the same education, then that person can't have the education. They have to come over here. So everybody has the same. Same income, same education, same clothes, same everything. We would call that communism. Yeah, I see a couple of you mouthing it. <laughs> right? But that, they've taken it and they've hijacked equality because equality sounds good. But the reality is God created us all different with different abilities for different things to meet different things within the body of Christ. If you all had to worship and sing the way I sing... <laughs> we all be in trouble. I praise God that we have somebody like Raul and others that sing, that, that can harmonize, and we can follow them easily. It's pleasant. It's easy to the ear to follow them. No one would follow me if I had to do that. We've tried that before, Anissa and I. And even though Anissa was standing next to me and clearly had the voice, my, even though she could sing louder than me and she could sing on all the right notes at the right time, all those I struggle with, uh, timing and notes, um, people were still heard me. And that confused a lot of people. <laughs> it was not a good thing. So I will never stand in for Raul. <laughs> I will pray, read scripture, and let others sing. <laughs> but here's the thing. It's equality and opportunity. We all equal have the opportunity to do different things or to do the same things. It doesn't mean that equality will be the same outcome. It's impossible. It's not reality. It's not even logical. And it's creating divides. It's creating, it's creating all sorts of problems. Terms that are biblical are being hijacked. By culture. We have cultural issues that are infiltrating the church. I would say that what we are facing today is not as much ethnic issues as it is cultural issues because of the politics that are playing out before us. Offer only something God can give. Did you notice that he didn't say, oh, hey, I'm sorry, let me... Let me get the water for you. I, I know that you're probably a sinful person because otherwise you would have done this with the ladies earlier. I, let, me, let me humble myself and take care of your need and let me draw water for you. Right? But we, that's kind of the message we hear today. But the reality was is he asked her to get the water because that was what the women did during that time. It wasn't a slight to her. It, was, it shocked her when he talked to her. He was like, how is it that you, being a Jew, is talking to me, a woman, a Samaritan woman? It shocked her. It was that the verbiage there in the Greek is literally, it's an, it's an attitude of shock. But Jesus created an interest in this woman by implying that if you actually knew who you were talking to, you'd be asking me for water. Now, wait a minute. That's different. Do you notice he drew them and said, hey, there's something only that God can offer. There's this living water. In fact, 
she understood what this meant because the word living water in the, in the text, Halamoy, it signifies that there's this present tense or there's this water that's available and that this source of water will continue to leap up to jump. It's jumping, gushing, bubbling, and it doesn't stop. That just sound familiar. It sounds like a, a spring, right? But if you're, you know, a lot of places in California, the natural springs dry up because it, the, the water table goes down too far. But the reality is, is Jesus wasn't so much concerned about her physical issues as she was, he, he was about her spiritual issue. So he shared something that only God could give. Something that only, hey, do you know, you know, we're all struggling with life. Maybe they're worried. Maybe the person you're with, they're worried. Maybe they're struggling with peace. And you say, well, hey, do you know the, the peace that surpasses all understanding? That the peace that you don't have to produce? We can learn a lot from Christ because not only that, but we learn in verses 11 and 12 that people who need God will most often respond by focusing on the physical. They'll take you right back to the physical and they will mock you when you talk about everlasting life. Uh, whatever, you're mystic or you're, you know, you, there's nothing, you know, don't stop ask, you know, giving me this magical person or thing or, and they mock you. This is actually her response. Her response was logical, you know, but not spiritual. She responded in somewhat a flippant manner by saying, how are you going to get this water? You don't even have a jug. How are you? And the well is deep. The, the, the well of Jacob, this well was known to be over 100 feet deep. This was an amazing well. But Jesus said, that well won't never satisfy. But the well that I can offer you does satisfy for eternity. But how are you going to draw it, sir? <laughs> you don't even, you asked me for a drink. How are you going to get this water for me? And then she asked, are you greater than Jacob? Jacob gave us this well. And she goes into kind of this mocking cynicism. But you notice what Jesus does in verse 13 and 14? Immediately brings attention back to what only God can give. Right? The water that I will give, he says, I will give him will... By the way, did you notice he used the word... Him. Isn't it he talking to her? Who's the him in this passage? No, the, the so-called husband. He's talking back to the, the so-called husband that she's really not married to. You know, the water that I will give him will become in him a wellspring of water welling up to eternal life. This is a picture of the Holy Spirit. We see that in John 14. He uses the same verbiage. You'll see this welling up, this well spring of life welling up within you. You'll see this verbiage all through the New Testament. 
Because the reality is, is she's, he's bringing back to the attention, saying, look, you, Jacob made a well. People can make wells. People can draw water. But only God can cause an everlasting spring to bubble up from the ground or from your heart. It's something that only God can do. Ephesians chapter 2. God is the one who makes us alive, who saves us to know that we need a Savior. It's God's work. He brings us, uh, you know, brings our attention back to God. Verse 16 through 18, we see that we glean that a true belief in the Lord is always honest about their sin. They repent. She comes and she says, you are right. I, I, I don't have a husband. And, he's, and Jesus said, you're right. You not only do you not have, this is not your husband, but you've had five. The reality here is, is that Jesus revealed her need to deal with sin. As we glean about evangelism, the reality is, is it is more important to deal with that which is destroying your relationship with God than to meet a physical need. The world has hijacked evangelism to mean, to mean meet a physical need. That's not evangelism. That's socialism. Not all socialism is wrong. Meeting people's needs in society is, is, is fine, but it's not evangelism. Jesus turned his attention back to the fact her greatest need was a spiritual one, and that was that she was a sinner and that she needed her sin forgiven. You know, at this case, when she mentions the, the whole aspect of the well and what are you going to, hey, come on, how are you going to draw out of this? There's sarcasm there. Or, hey, are, you can't be better than the one who gave us this well that's never run out. I mean, it's still being used to this day, is her point. Many would start probably arguing or trying to prove a point. But do you know that Jesus goes right back to her need? Goes right back. It's not about arguing. It's not about sidetracking. It's about who God is. The sad reality is, is many people are going to the watering holes of this world looking for satisfaction, to be satisfied, to have their thirst of life, the peace they're looking for peace. They're looking for harmony. They're looking for joy. They're looking for to be satisfied. Most people continue to look for something physical to satisfy them. That's why we have addiction issues. But it's not happening. Satisfaction never comes. Until Jesus Christ has first place in your life, you will not really be satisfied with your soul. You'll, really, you'll realize that until, he, until you've submitted to him, you realize that you don't have peace. You don't have joy. You don't have a relationship with him in which you are being blessed. John 7, 38 says, whoever, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Literally, it's saying, I will put it there. 
true belief in the Lord is always honest about sin. Dr. Wiersbe said this, it says, there can be no true conversion or true belief without real sin conviction. J. Vernon McGee said this, and before he passed away, he said, I'm convinced that most superficiality in our churches today is there as a cover-up of sin. Unfortunately, our churches are honey-covered with hypocrisy, a compromise with evil, and a refusal to face up to sin. We have a, we have a Heavenly Father that invites us often to wash our feet. He is still loving us to the end. Deal with our sin, because He's going to wash your feet. He's going to take care of that sin. He loves you. He didn't promise to, to, to make a sacrifice for you and love you and then leave you. He loves you. That's why we keep coming back to God. Not cover up our sin. Let Him wash it. J.C. Ryle said, no one values the physician until he feels the disease. I can emulate that the last few months. <laughs> no one values a physician. It's like, I can't sleep. Doctor, I need you. <laughs> my, my wife was like, oh my word. He wants me, you know, I was like, I told my wife, I was like, honey, call the doctor. Tell her how bad I am. I never say that to Anissa. I usually never complain about my pain. I just deal with it. It's like, take me to the emergency room. I need to go to the emergency room. She's like, wow, let's go. <laughs> right? When we realize we're sinners, we're like, yes. And that's when true worship begins. True worship is eternal, not external. Do you notice that the woman is doing? She responds to Jesus and says, hey, wait a minute. Now, let's get this straight. Where are we supposed to worship? Is it this mountain or that mountain? Mount Gerizim or Mount, Mount you know, is it in Jerusalem? Is it here? Do we worship here at, at, by the well and the mountain by the well? Or do we worship in Jerusalem? Where is it? Christ saw right through that to her heart. And he says in verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. It's not an aside, it is a command. Believe me. The hour is coming when neither this mountain or that mountain. Believe me, it's not about this mountain, that mountain. It's about Christ. True worship always starts with our trust in Christ. Without Christ, there's no worship. That's why we need to make much of the gospel, why we need much of Christ. Christ, if, if we minimize Christ and the cross, we minimize worship. That's why the world thinks it's crazy that it, it's, we don't, why do you have to meet? You don't need to meet. Just go worship. You can worship anywhere. No, we can only worship together in Christ. It's about Christ. It's about the body of Christ telling Christ how much he's worth and why he's worth them. Now, 
It's like Christ is telling us the hour is coming when it doesn't matter here nor there. We're going to be at the foot of Christ in heaven one day. Why do we argue about such things? It's about Christ. Don't we get caught up in religious arguments all the time? Where we focus on all the religious arguments? It's easy for the world to get us away from Christ, sin, and the true spiritual need. But it's Christ. Christ solves all the issues. You can go back through the issues and just chuck them, just cross them off. Christ meets them all. Christ is the answer. Here is, here is the one that you need to be saved. It is I, it is the Messiah. You don't even know what you're worshiping, he told her. You don't even, if you don't know Christ and you don't know what you're worshiping, you're just worshiping. Worshiping the TV, you're worshiping. We have a pandemic that's starting here soon. It's called football. <laughs> it's going to overshadow the COVID pandemic pretty quick. I guarantee it. I know, and I'm going to one of those pandemic meetings tonight to draft my football team for fantasy football. <laughs> so I have to make sure I have enough. You know, I might have to have my wife give me a shot so that way I don't get stuck in fantasy football land. That's my enough jokes. Okay, let's go back. <laughs> Jesus said, woman, you don't know what you're doing. You're not even worshiping the, the, the you're not worshiping God. One who worship God must worship God in spirit and truth. God is spirit and truth. The emphasis on this text here at the end of verse 24 is that it, it, is, it is that is the emphasis on worshiping God in the character and quality of worship that is spiritual and is by the Spirit, which is in context of the truth. We, we can't worship if we don't have the Spirit in life with us. We have to have the Spirit leading us as we walk in the Spirit to be able to worship by the Spirit and by truth. If you're living in a lie and if you're hiding sin in your life, you cannot worship because you will not be walking in the Spirit. Jesus effectively answered her and said, basically, all your worship has been for naught. It doesn't mean anything. And that's sad. Many people come to church and that's what they, they, they're being religious and they're just going through, but they're covering up sin. They're not growing in their relationship with God. They're not letting God do with their sin. And I'm not talking about everybody walking before and just saying, okay, I did this today, I did that. That's not what I'm talking about. But we far too often cover up sin rather than let it be exposed and let God grow us and be honest with God. God seeks people who will be honest with him about their sin. You cannot ever have a good, real, and you can tell I wrote this, you cannot ever have a good, there's got to be a better way to write that, I need, my, I need Laurel back, but you cannot ever have a good, real relationship with God if you are living in some false delusional world about your own sin. If you are 
if your sin is lying, stealing, immorality, arrogance, jealousy, drunkenness, idolatry, covetousness, you will never be right with God, nor will your worship with God be right until you admit it. All the issues of today do this. Jesus taught us the true blessing of evangelism and worship, and it all begins with Christ. Everything that we're facing today, all the arguing, all the politics, all the do I do this, do I do that, is this right, is this wrong, you know, pastor, will you write me up some religious reason why not to do this or to do that? And, you know, I've been asked all sorts of different questions this week. And granted, yes, I'm so glad I had the last couple months to just listen to all the garbage and then go, ah, (laughs) and to see some of these things and give real answers, not just feeling-oriented answers. All the issues today do this. They mask the ability to know God. More and more people are being confused on who God is because of what's being done today. Because of all the issues we are facing today, it is masking the ability to live by the Spirit. We are more focused about if we are politically correct or whether we're on the right side of science or whether we're on all of the, I mean, just one issue after another. We're more concerned about that to the point where God doesn't have any real value in our life anymore and we're not even following His leading. Worry tends to do that. It also masks the gospel. To where the church, the majority of churches today are just social programs instead of gospel-giving, eternal, life-giving, saving entities of the body of Christ. They're masking the gospel. And the reality is this. It masks true worship. Christ is all. God is is all. Through all. He is for. I can't even quote the scripture. But he is our everything. He is our salvation. Not whether or not you get medicine or don't get medicine. Because I'll tell you the truth. It doesn't matter what kind of medicine you get, you're still going to get sick. That's the truth. That's the absolute truth. The CDC told us that this week. It doesn't matter what kind of medicine you take. You're going to get sick. The reality is, if you listen to some people who say that you're not going to get sick if you take this medicine or you take that medicine, it can become a problem because you rely on it. And when you get sick, you don't get help. Because there's a politicalness to both sides. They want to have the answer so that in that way they can have the majority of the, the people on their side. And so you don't hear all the truth. And the truth is, you'll get sick. But, and, and there are people that are getting, that are dying because they think because they took one medicine or not, 
another form of medicine, that they're okay, so they don't need to go in. And so by the time they go to the hospital, they're so sick that it's too late, that the viral load just keeps going because of people listening to all the arguments. Guys, the reality is this. All of the things that we see going on today masks Christ. It washes him away. It dilutes the reality of our Savior. And I'm up here proclaiming, and don't, don't put words in my mouth, I'm saying, just believe God and you'll never get sick. That's not what I'm saying. I said everybody will get sick. I said it, I think, two years ago. We did get sick. And praise the Lord that every, everything has turned out okay so far. Right? I, I, I have, all of us have had friends that haven't made it for one reason or another. Most not because of COVID, but for other reasons. But I'm just telling you, don't, get, don't let the world wash away who Christ is and what we are called to do as the body of Christ. We are, do you see how closely tied proclaiming who Christ is to worship? The more we proclaim who Christ is, the more worship. The more gospel, the more worship. The more we realize we need it to deal with our sin, the more worship. This is a beautiful, eye-opening, I think is very apropos to what we're dealing with in our society today. And I believe it's not, I believe that the evil one wants us to be so focused on so many things that we forget who God really is and what he's really done for us. Don't forget the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He, he died to pay for us. Let's not forget that. Repent, he said, the kingdom of God is a hand, therefore repent and believe. Who are you, you going to lay your life down in front of? The, this world? Or the Savior. Lay down before the Savior. Submit to Him. That's what it means to repent. Turn and believe in what He did for you. You can't repent without believing. You can't believe without repenting. Do that. And live. Because He is life. And if you've done that, and you have a relationship with God... And he's adopted you into his family because of what he did for you on the cross. Don't let the world wash it away. Live with the gospel tied, strapped to every part of your body every single day. Your foot, your head, your mind. Protect the way you think. You know, your arms, whatever. Wherever you go, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Lord, I thank you for giving us this amazing opportunity to see you in action and what it teaches us about real worship and about our lives as a church and as a church body. May we not get caught up in so many things going on in our world that we forget that you and you alone can save. 
I pray right now if there's anyone who has not called upon the name of the Lord, that they would do that now, that they would call up out to you and say, I need a Savior for my sin. I know I'm not saved. No one has paid for my sin. The Bible says that, there, Lord, you tell us there's none righteous, no, not one. We all are sinners. We all make mistakes. It's not just a simple mistake. It's the fact that we aren't holy. We aren't right. But, Lord, you are. So you sent us your son to, to take our place, to pay for our sin, that we can have a relationship with you for eternity. I pray if there's anyone here that has never made that commitment, that they haven't repented and turned to you, that they would do that this morning. Call upon you and be saved. In Jesus' name we pray.